Hi, I'm Elise Lunan, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goop Podcast. In today's special episode, in efforts to spread awareness and helpful information on how we can best manage during the coronavirus pandemic, Dr. James Gordon is joining us. But before we get to our conversation, I'd like to thank our friends at Eileen Fisher, who helped make today's episode possible. A major upshot of renovating my closet last year was cleaning up my wardrobe. I'd much rather buy fewer things and invest in well-made pieces that are simple and timeless. This makes it a lot easier to decide what to wear in the morning and get out the door. Eileen Fisher designs responsible, high-quality clothing, and they're known for designing pieces that can be worn together season after season. Their process is circular by design. They take back what they make to create a new generation of clothing. To shop their new spring collection, head to EileenFisher.com. Right now, you can enter code GOOP25 at checkout to receive $25 off when you spend $100 or more. That's EileenFisher.com and use code GOOP25. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves, and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Hi, I'm Elise Lunan, co-host with Gwyneth of the Goo Podcast. In today's special episode, in efforts to spread awareness and helpful information on how we can best manage ourselves and others during the coronavirus pandemic, Dr. James Gordon is joining us. Dr. James Gordon is a psychiatrist, founder of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine, and the author of one of my very favorite books, The Transformation. He is widely recognized across the globe. Sorry. He is widely recognized across the globe for using self-awareness, self-care, and group support to heal psychological trauma. Dr. Gordon's work is in healing trauma and understanding the way trauma can have a ripple effect in our intimate relationships. So today we're going to talk about some strategies we can put to good use for maintaining self-care, easing our anxiety, and getting this out of our bodies. So let's get right to you. Thank you. Thank you. I wish we were speaking under better circumstances, but any chance to talk to you? Thank you, Elise. I, I wish we were, too. Um, I have to tell you, I really enjoyed what you did in the uh, Netflix series, the first episode particularly. That's the one I watched. I was really struck by it. I thought it was a very instructive and personal introduction to the possible benefits of of psychedelics for helping us deal with our issues, problems, challenges, trauma. The subtitle of my book is Discovering Wholeness and Healing 
after trauma. And I, and I believe that psychedelics can certainly have a, a role to play in that. And mm-hmm. I, I thought you did a, you and Gwyneth and the whole, your whole team did a really nice job. Well, thank you. And I am, as you can imagine, a big fan of that tool in the toolbox. But I also know it is just one tool. And that's why I think your book is such a gift, because it is practices that people can do anywhere, anytime, across the globe, together, alone, in community, um, that can sometimes get people to the same place. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the, the psychedelics are sort of an extraordinary experience and experiment. And as you're saying, the, the tools that I'm teaching are ones that anyone can do anytime and any place. So, I mean, we can't all, I, you know, get MDMA, unfortunately, while we're in um, self-isolation. <laughs> So there you go, that's, right? That's true. <laughs> we just, we can but do we our... We all can breathe. Exactly. We can and do our soft that. belly breathing. And that's really, uh, that's that's the beginning place. I, I can't, I've just been involved in, we were just doing a training in Western Maryland in a Allegheny County, which is an opioid devastated county. I just got back from there this morning and we're working with... Um, maybe 170 people, uh, teachers, leaders of women's groups, health professionals, uh, recovering addicts, people who work with addicts, and doing this wonderful training. And and it was was kind of a shock leaving what was a a true and supportive healing community and coming back to my house where at this moment I'm alone. And... uh, and the soft belly breathing is a way of sort of bringing me down and making me feel comfortable in this aloneness, which I think is going to affect more and more of us during this time of the coronavirus. That more and more of us were all uh, you know, instructed, I think, appropriately to keep social distance. And so I think it's going to be that that in itself is really challenging. And simply sitting and breathing deeply is a way of kind of, I found, a way of bringing me into the moment and helping me relax into this situation of my present aloneness. Yeah. I was very aware of after having been so much with people for the last five days. Yeah. I mean, this is so extraordinary and so strange a time for so many reasons. Obviously, the, the, the threat and danger, which is at this point real for for many and then imagined for some and, you know, being distanced from each other and weirdly being needing to be distanced from some people in order to not make them vulnerable. I know it's such a strange feeling when so many of us are like, I just want my mom and dad. Um, Yeah. And yeah. And then, yeah, this this interdependence and needing to share resources and also fearing for ourselves and those intense, selfish, um, undeniable urges to, you know, hoard resources. And it's so it's just it's fascinating and strange on every single level. Yeah, <sighs> it's it's a it's a, it's very, very challenging. And, yeah. uh, and I think it's challenging. I mean, the reality is challenging. And then, of course, our fears about what might happen. Uh, magnify immensely the the actual situation. So yeah, it's a, exactly. And, and then between what's real and what's just a fear. I mean, there's enough to be 
fearful of, but then how are we, how do we deal with that fear? How do we bring ourselves into the moment so we can live life fully, understanding that indeed this is a, a threat to us? Yeah, and just the uncertainty of the health consequences and the economic consequences and the ways in which this might affect us in an ongoing way. I mean, I think that's what we're all grappling with. And I know that you, of all people, are equipped to talk to us about it because you go into communities. I don't know if you've ever experienced like anything like this where it's global simultaneously, but you go into communities that have been devastated. And I know a big part of it is bringing people together, and that's not possible right now. But what's what are the things that we can do to get ourselves ourselves, our loved ones, and then our communities through this? Well, I I think the first thing is to understand that that the situation, do do our best to see the situation for what it is as best we can, because part of the problem is there's been so much misinformation Mm -hmm. uh, about what's actually going on and, and, and kind of from the the administration, a, a downplaying of the seriousness of what's happening so that people are you know, uncertain about what's, what's really going on. And, and, and I think what we have to do is, first of all, to understand that the situation is serious and can become much more serious. I mean, that's not a pleasant or a happy thing to say, but we have, we have to realize that, and that will help us shape what we do and it will also just just ground us a little to say, okay, this is this is real. Things in other countries have become very serious for large numbers of people. What do we do? What do we do in terms of sort of practical measures to that are being recommended for the center by the Centers for Disease Control? How do we go about doing those without totally driving ourselves crazy on yeah. one hand? And then perhaps even just as important is what can we do to enhance our own capacity to deal with the situation? And how can we enhance our immunity? How can we bring our minds into balance? How can we sort of release the tension from our bodies? And and, and how can we reach out to other people in ways that are still possible for us? And for me, the, the, the fundamental piece, which is why I teach it right at the beginning of the transformation, why it's the first technique. I was just in Puerto Rico after the earthquake and working with people who'd lost their homes. And I taught them this basic technique of soft belly breathing, breathing. And we probably ought to do it for a minute or two here. Yeah, let's do it. Just breathing. No (laughs) one's out driving their cars. Yeah, we're all here. So take us through it. Just breathe. Just relax. Sit in a comfortable way. And breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth with your belly soft and relaxed. Focusing on the breath coming in through the nose and out through the mouth. On the word soft as we breathe in and belly as we breathe out. And on our belly relaxing and softening as we exhale. We can just do this together for a minute or so.
And what this is doing as we're doing it is it's slowing heart rate, lowering blood pressure, relaxing the big muscles in our bodies, making it easier to digest food. Breathing like this slowly and deeply in through the nose and out through the mouth, with the belly soft and relaxed, quiets activity in the amygdala, that's A-M-Y-G-D-A-L-A, a center of fear and anger in the emotional brain. And it enhances activity in the frontal part of our cerebral cortex in areas responsible for thoughtful decision-making, self-awareness, compassion for ourselves and others. And this is all mediated through the vagus nerve, that's V-A-G-U-S, which means wandering in Latin. And this is the antidote to the fight-or-flight response, which is what we get into when we're anxious and disturbed and upset and something is threatening us. And one branch of the vagus nerve connects with other nerves responsible for speech and facial expression. So when we breathe slowly and deeply like this, we quiet our body, we calm our mind, decrease fear and anger, make it easier to focus and be self-aware, make it easier to sleep, also makes it easier for us to feel compassion for ourselves and others and to connect with other people, connect with their expressions, if we can see them, with their voice. And as we continue breathing like this, and I would suggest that people do this for three, five minutes, two, three, four, five times a day, all the muscles in our bodies begin to relax. So, um, very simple. How do you feel? I feel amazing. And Phil, our producer, is about to fall off his chair. <laughs> I could listen to you. I just want you to talk to me all day. It makes me feel very calm. <laughs> Um, well, good. <laughs> Part of I, I love talking to you, and I'd love to talk to you all day. And you can talk to yourself too. If you want to hear me, you can look at the CMBM website, Center for Mind Body Medicine website. There, you can download me doing this. Uh, I believe it's up there now. If it's not, it should be up by the time this uh, this podcast is posted. So you can you can listen to my voice. Sometimes it's good to hear somebody else's voice. Or you can say it to yourself. Yeah. You can make a recording or you can just say it to yourself in your mind. We're going to take a quick break. My work uniform is a jumpsuit or jeans with a sweater or blouse. I'm pretty much in sneakers every day. I try to mix in some color, but I like to keep my clothes relatively simple. And at this point, I really try to only buy staples or investment pieces that I can wear for years to come. Eileen Fisher is one of those designers that makes a good case for investing in classic, well-made clothing. 
They are a design-driven brand that appreciates clothes through the lens of form, function, and feeling. That means they believe clothes should have a sense of ease and movement, and that women deserve to feel comfortable in every sense. And they also believe that clothing should be made responsibly. They use quality, sustainable materials to create timeless pieces that last season after season. They're committed to doing business for good by taking responsibility for the resources they use and by advocating for the people who make their clothes. To shop simple, sustainable clothing, see their new spring collection at EileenFisher.com. Right now, you can enter code GOOP25 at checkout to receive $25 off when you spend $100 or more. That's EileenFisher.com and use code GOOP25. Working out, and more specifically doing yoga, helps me get out of my mind and into my body. I spend a lot of time in my mind, and yoga is a form of release for me. I love it. But the usual barriers can keep me from staying in a regular routine. Bulldog Yoga Online removes those hurdles and makes it very easy and fun to do yoga anytime, any place, with zero intimidation. Bulldog's online streaming classes are designed to work around your schedule. You can jump into a class from your bedroom, a hotel room, or wherever you find yourself. Classes range from 12 to 60 minutes, which is great if you promised yourself you'd squeeze in a workout and don't have much time. The classes are easy to follow along to and set to fun, upbeat playlists. You can choose from a range of classes and levels depending on what you're looking for. There are more basic classes geared toward beginners, aerobic-oriented classes that will give you a solid full-body workout, and even a meditation series. Bulldog Yoga believes in all the amazing benefits of yoga, increased strength, better flexibility, and improved mental focus, but their goal is to minimize feeling daunted by a certain kind of class atmosphere. So they're bringing the experience to your living room with some levity. To try Bulldog Yoga for yourself, head to bulldogonline.com. Use promo code GOOP60 to extend your free trial from 30 days to 60 days. That's bulldogonline.com and use code GOOP60. After your free trial, it's just $12.99 per month, and you can cancel anytime. And now, back to today's conversation. The other thing, it's funny, that, but I think it's important, and we didn't actually even get to it the first time that we spoke, um, was mindful eating. Because, you know, obviously, and hopefully by the time this episode goes up because let's see, we're recording it on March 16th, just for context. Um, and here in LA, Mayor Garcetti did a press conference last night and essentially was like, stop hoarding food. I'm going to take you on a tour of the distribution centers tomorrow. Like there is plenty of food. There is no food shortage. We will have plenty of food. And obviously there are vulnerable communities who are affected. Although I know people, citizens and the cities are making, trying to make sure that those kids aren't going without school lunches, et cetera. But in, in what I've observed every time I go to the grocery store and is just this, this hoarding or this panic around food. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I, of course, am also slamming and stress eating food right now, even though I'm like, I'm not really actually hungry can you sort of talk us through that, that whole idea? Because I think it would be helpful. First of all, I don't think that we're going to have any a caloric shortage in this country. And I certainly could stand to eat a little bit less than, than I do. But 
it seems like it's so hardwired to this basic need to survive, right? Like just hoard, 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 hoard. And like how can we, particularly around food and those things that feel scary, calm ourselves down? Can you take walk us through mindful eating and and how that's a sensory experience that's also a meditation? Sure. There, there's a few parts to it. The, you put your finger on it in, uh, when you were speaking. When we're under stress, when we're um, in a state of high anxiety, when we've been traumatized, as we are right now by the situation all around us, the tendency is to want to eat comfort food. It's partly, yes, now we're thinking of, of hoarding because you know, we fear we may not be able to get out. We may not be able to get food. But once we have the food, and I was aware of this myself when I came into the house, I put food in the refrigerator, I could feel myself, I could feel that psychological aspect of wanting to eat and wanting to eat to kind of help myself get into balance. And and that's understandable that when we're under stress, we're, um, you know, we're, we're putting out stress hormones, we're putting out cortisol, we're anxious and comfort foods particularly, you know, foods that are high in carbohydrate, fatty foods, they help us relax a little. Mm -hmm. And on a physiological basis, they decrease the level of cortisol, at least initially. And they increase the level of serotonin, which is calming, and increase the level of dopamine that is kind of a feel-good hormone in the brain, feel-good neurotransmitter in the brain. So it's understandable that we um, that we're going to go for that food, or we're going to want to eat it, and and we're going to keep, and we may well just keep on eating and eating and eating, and then at a certain point we say, "Oh my God, I'm so full! I didn't realize I was eating so much." That is a totally understandable physiological reaction to being under stress. So the first thing uh, is to to become aware as you're suggesting that we do, to become aware that this is something, this is a kind of built into our evolutionary biology, and we need to be aware of it, and we need to then figure out what to do about it. And the first thing is, in general, that's why I was suggesting doing the soft belly breathing a number of times a day, because what I've observed over this last week or two weeks is anxiety coming and anxiety going at different times. In myself, I was working with a team of about 20 people in Western Maryland, and we were doing a program for another 160 people, and I could see and feel it everywhere. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is to keep ourselves, do our best to keep in a state of physiological balance as much as we can. Second thing is we need to know that when we're under stress, We are going to go for the comfort food. And we also need to know that when the stress goes on for a while, it does damage to our gastrointestinal tract. That makes us more vulnerable to certain foods and also um, increases the level of stress on our brain. I'll talk about that a little bit. uh, There's a chapter in, in the transformation on the trauma healing diet. And it's a long chapter, and I think it's an important one because nobody else that I know of has written 
very much on the relationship between trauma and food and the damage done to the gastrointestinal tract, and most importantly, what we can do. So we need to understand that this is a reality, that when we're under prolonged stress, as we're likely to be during the situation, that it affects every aspect of our digestion. And so we need to make sure this is, it becomes, even though the temptation is there to kind of rush to the comfort foods, eating a healthy diet. And that means different things to different people. But it's essentially a diet that's low in processed foods and that's high in vegetables and fruits and um, that doesn't have too much uh, red meat in it that certainly doesn't use processed food with additives and colorings, eliminating all of that as much as we can. And, and again, as I said, it's going to be different. Some people lean toward more toward being vegetarian. Some people are pescatarians. They eat fish. Some people eat meat. All of that can work if we have a certain kind of balance in our, in our diet. But beyond that, what happens is we actually need more nutrients during this time, during this time of stress. So I, I, I recommend pretty much everyone a high dose multivitamin, multimineral, uh, in addition to uh, a healthy diet. Uh, with iron, if you're a woman who's menstruating and without it, if you're not menstruating or you're a man. And uh, addition, some very simple supplements, high doses of omega-3 fish oil, which are very important in dealing with stress and dealing with tendencies toward being depressive. It helps improve signaling of the neurons in the brain. Uh, I recommend making sure we have enough vitamin D3, especially if you're not going outside all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, you may not be going to your doctor to, to check out your D3 level, which is in ordinary times easy to do, but you can't do it now perhaps. So maybe taking 2,000 units of vitamin D3 a day, you won't get toxic from it, and it will help to deal with stress. Uh, and then in addition, there are certain, certain foods that, are, that simply are good and helpful in dealing with the inflammatory reaction, which is heightened by stress, so turmeric is the uh is very commonly used it's a very commonly used spice in indian foods very easy to get in capsules and and can be very very helpful as well but in addition to that uh, one of the things that happens when we're under stress is that there's damage to our small intestine if the stress goes on for for a while as it's likely to and there's damage to our microbiome and we need to, uh, under, and the microbiome are the trillions, as I'm sure most of your listeners know, the trillions of bacteria that live in our small intestine. And basically the um, bad ones tend to increase more and the good ones are suppressed. Mm -hmm. And so we should probably should be, probably everyone should be taking supplemental probiotics at this point. There's no, no harm in it. And the health of the, the microbiome contributes, and the research on this is just beginning to, to, to make this clear, contributes to the uh, maximum, uh, the optimal functioning of our vagus nerve, which of course is what helps us to calm down and helps the brain that may be damaged 
by prolonged stress to rebuild itself. And the other thing that, that you may notice about food is you may find yourself having uh, feeling funny after certain meals and certain foods that I mean that may never have bothered you before. Because one of the things that happens when we're under prolonged stress is that the cells in the small intestine, which are ordinarily the cells that line the small intestine, are ordinarily very closely packed to one another. They have what are called tight junctions. But when we're under prolonged stress, those cells tend to separate and molecules of food that ordinarily don't cross the intestine and go in the bloodstream may well cross the intestine and go into the bloodstream and cause problems. Gluten is an obvious example. That gluten molecule may cross over, go into the bloodstream and cause inflammatory reactions anywhere in the body. Mm -hmm. So we may be tired after eating a meal that has a lot of gluten in it, a meal with a lot of wheat or rye or barley that may never have bothered us before, or we may have joint pains from it. So I recommend really tuning in to what's, what's going on when we eat, how it's affecting us and how we're feeling. And if we're feeling that we're being affected by certain foods, got to pay attention and you know, we can talk about mindful eating in a moment. Once we start paying attention, then we can eliminate some of those foods, at least for the time being, until until our bodies and our intestinal tract are, are more in balance. So those are some of the, the basics of, uh, of, of eating in a way to maximize our body's capacity to heal itself and to quiet the anxiety and the fight-or-flight response that comes up during this, this time of ongoing trauma. Right. And as we want, you know, our immune system to stay in balance, the the things that we do to limit inflammation can only be helpful, right? Very, it's very important that, you know, when, when there's a, a um, an epidemic, like there's a pandemic like this, and there's an infectious agent, there's what we do to protect ourselves, the kind of outer defenses against the protective agent, the social distancing, the hand washing, uh, the washing off of surfaces. But then there's also, and this is, we don't know which is more important, but it's clearly important, the, the, what we can do to maximize our own internal balance, to maximize our immune response uh, so that we're less vulnerable to the virus. And if we happen to contract the virus, we're less likely to be seriously damaged by it. Yeah, I think it's very imp- important to recognize that not everybody has the same response to the very same virus. And part of that difference is how we take care of ourselves and particularly how we deal with stress. I, I don't think and I, I, this is not a scientific observation, it's just a common sense observation. I think one of the reasons why healthcare professionals, some of them are being infected and getting so sick and sometimes dying, it's because not only have they been exposed to the virus, but they're under a tremendous amount of stress. They've had very little sleep. They're working so hard. Yeah. So this is particularly true for anybody who's being exposed. You really have to balance that with taking good care of yourself. Yeah, no, and it's not something that people, you know, I think we've, certainly women and, and men as well, like it's never, we, we live in a culture that sort of um, 
strange and skewed in so many ways, right? Because what we're seeing is sort of the uh, polarity of extreme selfishness and then an extreme need to take care of each other. And then alternately, you have you have a lot of women who typically don't put themselves first, right? So it's sort Absolutely. of the... Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very true. What happens is you're always taking care of everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> but here's a situation. If you really want to take the best care of everybody else, you got to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You've got to stay healthy, too. So from that altruistic perspective, you need to take care of yourself. Yeah. And and so just to close the loop on mindful eating, and then I want to talk about sort of deeper work, mindful eating is just essentially really slowing it down, right? Like being aware of everything that you're putting in your mouth and all of the sensory experiencing of that. Is that fair? Absolutely. And and this is this is something that uh, that, that uh, anyone can do. Just very simply uh, to begin this experiment, which hopefully will flower into a, a way of life. Take take something like a grape and just put it in your hands. You may want to. They can. Can you turn off the podcast for a bit? They can. They can turn <laughs> off the podcast. They can go get a grape or get another little piece of fruit from your refrigerator, and um, just you take it and you look at it and you smell it and you feel it. You really can get to know it. Just just the way if you can uh, sort of put yourself in the. The mindful eating framework is really the child's sense of wonder. Uh, if you can bring that sense in as well, oh, this is this is a grape, or this is a piece of apple, and isn't this interesting? And what does it smell like? And what does it feel like? And what's it like if I put it on my cheek? I mean, just the way a kid might do. And then you put it in your mouth, and you just feel it inside your mouth, and you let feel the texture and the little bit of flavor that may be coming off it and sort of circulating in your mouth. And then very, very slowly you chew it at about a fifth or a tenth the speed at which you ordinarily eat. And just do that. It may take a couple minutes just to chew this little one grape or one little piece of apple. And then you swallow it. And then notice Notice what happens. And uh, it, it's amazing. We do this. Uh, I, I teach this in somewhat more detail in the transformation. We do this in our workshops. We do it in our training programs. We do it all over the world. And it makes a world of difference for people. Uh, I remember doing this in, uh, in Haiti after the earthquake there. And a, uh, this man who uh, we were working with bananas, which is what uh, easy fruit that's available in Haiti. And this huge man comes to the front of the room after uh, after we've done this exercise with about 100 people in a training program. These are community leaders who are going to teach these skills to other people. And uh, this was happened to be in the southern part of Haiti near Jacques Bell. And he comes up to the microphone and he says, I am a banana farmer. I have eaten bananas Every day of my 60 years, I eat bananas for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. I have snacks of bananas. We have 24 varieties of banana on our farm. 
We paused, and he said, this is the first time I have truly eaten a banana. <laughs> it's so beautiful to see. But it's true. We, we, we don't, you know, we're, we're not, we don't think. Yeah, we're and not we present. We're just so busy. So yeah. that's, mindful eating is really such a beautiful tool, and then it can generalize. It can be a way for many people. It's really a, a very powerful introduction to a more meditative way of living. You can bring it into that eating that one little piece of fruit, bring it into eating a whole meal with either by yourself or with your family and see what happens. And it can it can really be quite miraculous. So for people who are, you know, on it, right, and let's say start their soft belly breathing and sort of trying to calm down and slow things down and and be present to their emotions, Um that seems ideal. But for those who feel like they cannot catch it or who are more impacted um, or, you know, who get sick or have family members who are sick who or, or family members um, who are on the front lines and, and healthcare workers or, you know, doing cash wrap at grocery stores, et cetera, and are just deeply traumatized by this, what – what are the best mechanisms for really moving stuff out of out of our bodies and really, really getting it out? Well, you know, it's a a good point you're bringing up because some, for some people, it's very hard to, to sit still, or the sitting still, even with the soft belly breathing, is uh, is not enough. And and I'm I've certainly been in these states. I think most of us have. That's the time when you need to really use the body and to do um, our ancestors and Aboriginal people all over the world understand this. And, and they created what we call now expressive meditations. And they could be fast dancing, jumping up and down, singing and chanting, fast deep breathing, whirling, shaking the body. Um, these are the built-in biological mechanisms for dealing with stress. And if you have a, a, a pet dog, for example, and you see the dog get in conflict with another dog, uh, after the conflict is over, you know, they're growling at each other or they're you know, sort of hassling each other over territory or they're actually in a physical fight. What you'll see is that often they shake themselves. They shake their bodies like they're shaking loose from this state of frozen, shut down, overwhelm, or shaking loose this fight or flight response, getting rid of that tension, and they're coming back into balance. We need to do that too. And the simplest technique, the one that I, again, teach early in the transformation the one that we do early in our work with people who've been traumatized by war, or climate-related disasters, or violence in their community, or the opioid epidemic, is shaking and dancing. And it's very simple. Uh, you stand up. Uh, I'm, I'm doing actually doing it right now. Stand up with your knees a little bent. And you can put on some fast driving rhythmic music to help you without words, just like drumming or some other fast music. And you begin to shake from your feet 
up through your knees and hips and chest and shoulders and through your head, letting your head go. And you just let you just keep on shaking and you let your whole body go. A lot of us carry tremendous amount of tension in our shoulders. I would say that's uh, probably in the United States, 90 percent of people. When I ask people, how many of you carrying tension in your shoulders, especially after they've done a little shaking of their body? Almost everybody raises their hands. And if you can shake, you start to let loose that tension because all the psychological tension that we have also goes right into our bodies. Everything that we think or feel, worry about, also affects every cell in our body. So this is a very direct way of breaking up that tension, of freeing ourselves. So you do the shaking for maybe five or six minutes uh, longer. If you're The more tense you are, the longer it's a good idea to do it. And anybody can do it. We do this uh, with people who can't stand up, or people who are in wheelchairs. They can do it sitting down. I've done it with people in hospital beds. done it many places around the world. So that shaking, afterwards, after the shaking, you begin to feel a little more relaxed, a little more open, a little more energy. Just stand for a couple minutes. And then have some music that goes on that's energizing for you, that's inspiring for you and just let your body move and start to come back and connection with your body and because when we're really stressed and traumatized um we, we lose connection with our body it feels alien to us or strange or sometimes we dissociate and we feel like well, i don't even know if this is my body especially if the trauma is is very intense and very intimate and somebody who's assaulted somebody who's raped but sometimes just purely psychologically, when we feel so overwhelmed, as we may in the situations you described, where someone we love is really at risk, we may shut down and go into a kind of frozen state. Then this shaking and dancing really begins to help us move out of that state and begin to free ourselves and come back and balance. I would suggest doing it every day. Yeah. Um, when I've gone through difficult times, I did it every day. When we were working out in Western Maryland these last four or five days, we did shaking and dancing a couple times a day. Yeah. And it was great. Well, now we're, we we're, we can't witness each other doing it, and we're all at home, so we may as well just really shake. Yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. It's so simple. And it's so much – this is our human heritage, and we've forgotten it. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm sorry, go ahead, Elise. No, no, I was just agreeing with you. You know, it's any physical exercise is is going to be good and going to be helpful, but this is this adds something to it because this is not only, you know, getting the benefits of the physical exercise in terms of energizing ourselves and um, decreasing levels of stress. It's also it's also free, and so it's breaking up these fixed patterns which yeah. uh, exercise doesn't do. Exercise is good in many ways, but it doesn't break up the kind of f physical tightness that comes from emotional stress. Yeah. No, it's funny. We talked about it the first time we spoke too, but I think for women, for really anyone, but we are, we are conditioned to sort of hold our bodies in certain ways. Even the idea of making our bellies soft is sort of 
abhorrent in some way. And so I think the, as in these uncertain, completely world upside down times, like it's good to, to break out of all of those constructs. Um, they're not serving us very well. Yeah, and it helps, you know, just the kind of side benefit is it helps us free us from self-consciousness, too. Yeah, exactly. Kind of be a little goofy. Not a bad <laughs> thing. And laughter. Speaking of being goofy, laughter is so important in this time. It's, I mean, I find for myself that when I start taking, no matter what the situation is, if I start taking myself too seriously, I'm in trouble. I'm just, you know, I'm kind of shut down. I'm not really open to everything that's going on. Uh, so I, I find that becoming aware of my tendency to be overly serious and literally laughing, laughing at myself and laughing out loud, if possible, a great belly laugh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to frighten off our listeners. But <laughs> just try it. Uh... Do it for a minute or two. It's... Uh, <laughs> it, it, it breaks, again, it breaks up the tension. It's good for immunity as it happens. Yeah. Uh, it enhances our immunity. It relaxes the muscles in our bodies. If you do it, you lower the stress hormones. We don't, the research has been done on it. And we need to bring back laughter, perhaps especially in these times when we're threatened. Yeah, no, I could not. Not a bad idea to watch some funny movies, too. Trust. To help you get going with the laughter. Trust me, this is the every night. I mean, my husband has been watching Pandemic on Netflix, and he watched Uncut Gems. I'm like, this is not what we need. I need to watch, like, Trading Places and, you know, Secret of My Success, and I need to giggle. I don't want to watch scary things. Yeah, there's the, the, one of the early, I mean, the famous case was Norman Cousins, who used to be the editor of the Saturday Review of Literature, which is very well, very distinguished, well-known magazine um, long back in the day. And um, what he did when he had this terrible ankylosing spondylitis, arthritis of the spine, his doctors couldn't do anything for him. He checked himself out of the hospital, and he rented Marx Brothers movies and situation comedies, and he watched them all day long. And he began to relieve the pain that he mm. had. He was, you know, he was bringing up um, the sort of neurotransmitters that would help to relieve the pain, including, I'm sure, nobody measured it, endorphins and serotonin. Is lowering his level of stress hormones. He was bringing himself back into balance. We need to do this. Yeah, no, All I almost need to do this in these difficult times. I love that. Well, thank you, as always, for your work, and thanks for giving us time today. And if you get lonely, you call me, okay? I'm here. Okay. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Everybody should be reaching out to each other. Yes. That's, that's one of the critical messages, Elise. We've, I mean, I don't know if you've been doing this, but I have. I've been calling old friends. They've been calling me. I've been calling family members I haven't talked to in a while. I think it's so important during this time to be doing that kind of outreach. I agree. And, and social support, again, this works on our biology. The more we connect with other people, the more likely we are to lower our stress hormones, to enhance our immunity, to make us less vulnerable to the virus. So please do be reaching out to, you know, to whoever is important to you. Okay. Well, you're important to me, so call me. 
and I'll talk to I you will. soon. Okay. Thank you. I look forward to it. Take care. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. James Gordon. For more on Dr. Gordon, check out a copy of his book, The Transformation. You can also visit drjamesgordonmd.com. That's D-R-G-A-A-M-E-S-G-O-R-D-O-N-M-D. And you can find videos of many of the things we talked about on YouTube. And we have more stories with James on Goop. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.